a absolute pri- uh, privilege to be here with you. Um, I had a friend call me this afternoon, and it was really a neat conversation, uh, but it's a typical one. Um, I was in Vermont a couple years ago, and, yeah, 15 years ago. I go there regularly, but this was a long time ago. And um, I did this camp meeting, and uh, it was an interdenominational deal, holiness camp meeting, uh, probably run by the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, most of the board members are, but uh, holiness nonetheless, kind of that group. And I was there, and they have, uh, I'd worked my way up. I'd been doing it since the late 90s, mid-90s maybe. So you had the youth, you had the, you had the youth speaker, junior high speaker, kind of a, then they move you up. If you didn't, you know, destroy any of them for long periods of time, you go to the youth and then the Bible teacher, and then you had a camp meeting speaker. So I was the camp meeting speaker, and make it quick, um, one of the ladies who'd been there, love her. I mean, love her. We're like, she's, her and I are on Facebook together. It's just great. And uh, I think she's in her 80s. She's been in her 80s, though, for probably 20 years. And so, um, but we had got in it, into it one year, and she, as the camp meeting speaker, all the children had to learn Bible verses. And so they would come around and they would have the blue slip and they would come up to you. And there were certain signatures you had to have. You had to have mine, you know, the Bible teacher, the youth guys, the children, and the camp president. And then they'd, you had to get like 25 names every day with a new scripture. And they'd come, hand it to you, you know, Romans 3.23. They'd say it, then they'd say Romans 3.23. And they never got it right. They never got it right, you know. And so you'd help them and all that. Well, there was this one little girl, and she, I loved her. She was just sassy and just pushy, remind me of my wife, and she, she really was, she was adorable, and she always got it wrong, and so finally one day I said, listen, just tell me what the passage means, and that'll be good enough, and she goes, I don't have to know what it means, I just have to be able to say it, and I was like, what? And it, it bothered me, so the next day, these kids would come up, they would say it, and I'd be like, okay, it's good, what does it mean? Oh, I don't know, and so then I I finally was like, they'd come to me and they'd say, you know, Romans 12, 1. I'm like, I don't care. What's it mean? They'd be like, I don't know. Well, go find out and, and they'll come back to you to know what it means. Well, they all turned on me is what ended up happening. And then they did. And so they went to Marilyn and Marilyn ended up coming to me. And she says, the kids are telling me you're refusing to sign their papers. And I was like, well, they're all little liars. First off, that's, that's not true at all. And, um, and I explained to her my concern, you know, they, they, they can memorize it, but I, I, want them to, I want them to know it. Like, what does that mean for me? Who am I? And she was like, well, that's, you know, we just want them to memorize it. And I was like, well, I'm, and I told her about what I find. Teens who grow up into church, they know when to stand up. They know when to sit down. They know all the right things to say. They graduate and they never come back. I can't, that kills me. I'm not going to contribute to that. And she goes, well, that's one of your responsibilities. I said, well, I don't want to do it. She goes, no, you're going to do it. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. She's like, yes, you will. I was like, uh, no, I won't. Yeah. And so, you know, it was ugly. So I ended up doing it. But, because she's Maryland, but they, I, it was a clause. So I had to get up. And I was already preaching three times a day, 10-day camp meeting. It was brutal. But I would get up early, and then I would come, and when they would hand out the verse, I would explain what it means. It's got to move. I love how pastor prayed. It's, it's got to move from here to here. 
And so my buddy called me today and they released their children's minister, who was great. She'd been doing it a long time and she kind of wanted to retire anyway. But, you know, there was such, they felt like there was such an emphasis on this, you know. And I'm a huge word guy. In fact, honestly, I don't know anybody's a word guy like me. I mean, I'm a word guy. Surround myself with word guys. But I'm, it's, it, it has to be more than head knowledge. It has to. When we come and I, I, I tell this to teen camps and churches, when you come and sing, it does not matter. There's a whole group. It's so funny. People are so fickle. You know, they, they come and, you know, they want the latest worship song. I don't care. I just want us to get along, you know. I can sing to polka. I'm, I'm good, okay? Seriously. It doesn't matter. It, it matters if, you, if you're literally, if you're singing it as a love song to him. There's a difference. You see, you can come to church on Sunday and yet never come to church on Sunday. You can sing and not worship. You can give 10% of your money and yet never have tithed. It's an eyes of our heart thing. Obviously, our mind is wonderful, but it's an eyes of our heart thing. And I, when I got saved in 95, and I was sharing this with Pastor today, and I don't publicize it because I want to get booked, but I, I come from a, I was a bad kid. I was a, a rough guy and I had drug problems and went in the military and I was kicked out of the military for drug use. And I'm, I'm 6'4", 230. When I was discharged in 95, I was 6'4", 120, 27, 128 pounds. I was 100 pounds lighter. I was, I was a mess. Ran into a Christian family on the base who took me into their home and uh, they, they tricked me. They were, I thought we were going to a, a basketball game because it was in a stadium. And, you know, they were loving on me, and we showed up. I was so excited. It was a surprise. We're walking in, and everybody's carrying Bibles. And I'm like, what is this? You know? And uh, we get inside, and it was, I was upset. I felt like I'd been tricked. And uh, so I just walked all the way to the top, past the tape, sit down. I smoked back then. So I, I was just smoking cigarettes there. It is a defiant. And... Uh, Billy Graham started speaking. I didn't listen. But I had, he found me. Jesus found me in the stadium. And uh, I'd never, I'd never had that before. He was, he's a person. This is not about religion. It's not about information. It's not about laws. It's not about rules. He's a living person. And you can talk with him and walk with him. And he lives with you. And we sing to him. He's a person. And I remember I came back from the altar and I was like, I, I, spent, I spent the rest of my life chasing him. Your kids have to have, because see, I mean, they're going to go to college where there's going to be a battle of knowledge and someone's going to be smarter. But they're going to stand there and say, no, no, I understand I'm not as smart as you, but I met him. But do he's real. That's what's going to keep your kids. You know what I'm saying? I met him. I know him. No, you don't understand. I talked to him. You want to meet him? So really quickly. So I was in Texas this summer. <laughs> this is so funny. I was in Texas this summer. And a mom, is this, this camp meeting, West Texas. This, can't, Texas is huge. So it's West Texas. It's this huge camp meeting. And so there's hundreds of people there. And I, I ran into this one lady, and I'd been to her church. And so she, she was single mom. She came to the camp. I was so delighted. And she basically coerced her daughter. Her daughter didn't want to come and hang out with a bunch of old people. 
I get it. I didn't want to go hang out with a bunch of old people. But, um, but I was there. So, and she, she said, I tell you what, it's fun. There's horseback riding. There's a pool, all of that. It, 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 you can go. I tell you what, if you go, I'll let you bring a friend. So she came with her friend. Her friend from school had never, never been to church, didn't know anything about it. After one of the services, it was ridiculous week. God was moving. I mean, you could sense his presence. It was so good. Well, after one of the services, there's all these people at the altar, and I'm standing. This young girl comes up, and she's standing right there, and she's trembling visually. So I knew there were some things going on in her. And uh, I went up to her, and I said, hi. I said, are you okay? And she said, can I talk to you? I was like, sure. So I brought her up front with the, one of the pastor's wives, and we sat down, and she was full of questions. You know, how do you know this? How do you know that? And, and she was very skeptical, super bright. You know, why would God let this happen to me and all of this? And, and when she stretched her arm, her sleep came up and she, she, was, she had been cutting. So there was self-harm uh, going on. And, and, you know, obviously had a rough, rough life, uh, oppression, you know, not, not, uh, not good for her. And so I, my heart just went out to her. And so I'm talking with her, and the, and the pastor's wife with me was just, you know, she's going for the commitment. You want to pray? This girl's like, no. And I heard it clear as a bell, and the Lord just said, introduce me to her. Which I was like, what does that even mean? You know? Let me say, what, do you want to meet him? What if you don't show up? That's <laughs> what I was thinking. And it, it, it just, it was an impression upon me, just introduce me to her like, you met me. So I just... I just said to her, I said, do you want to meet him? And she just kind of looked at me. I said, no strings attached. This ain't a date. This is coffee. You want to just meet him? And she said, okay. So I took her hands, and the pastor took, uh, pastor's wife took her hands, and uh, we just started praying. And I said, Lord, introduce yourself to her the way you did to me. Kid you not, his presence fell, and it was just... It was incredible. And I, it was a total unspiritual prayer. I was just like, all right, amen. And when I opened my eyes, she's, she's got this wicked sense. And I said, do you, do you feel that? And she goes, I said, that's the person. And I said, how would you like to have that, that feeling? It's not just a feeling, it's a person. That's his aroma. I said, how would you like to have that feeling replace the feeling that you have inside? And she goes, yes. And I just led her to the Lord. And she changed. She changed. She had no biblical knowledge. In fact, she'll spend the rest of her life figuring out here what happened here. That's church. That's why kids can get saved. That's why four-year-olds come and they have an encounter here. And they'll spend the rest of their life figuring it out here. It's not we come and let me debate with you, Jeremiah. You know, let me, let me, let me consider that. And I, I get that all the time. You know, people walk out and say, that's interesting. I don't that makes me think. Stop thinking. <laughs> I don't say that, but I'm just like, listen, don't think. Listen. Just listen. Let him speak to you. Does that make sense, you stoic Pennsylvania people? Stoic's not bad. So what we talked about this morning is just when you come into the scriptures, he makes all things new. I mean, I am a, I'm a different person. I'm different. I feel different. I feel different. Identity changes everything. 
And what I find, and I, I'm telling you, it's the majority of us in this room. Well, we're going to go way in depth with this tomorrow. If, if you have to miss any night, if you're going to skip, go out skiing or something, listen, tomorrow you don't want to miss. This is the most important night, I feel. It's, it's, it's just, and then when you come tomorrow, you ain't going to want to miss Tuesday or Wednesday. But tomorrow's like really, really important. Seriously. Because tomorrow's about inside, like he, he's going to deal with us on on lies that we believed. All that the enemy wants to do is try to convince you of who you are not. And it's really, it's really it. I was talking to some ladies before the service. Jesus is what human... There's this question in the Old Testament where the psalmist says, what is man that you're mindful of him? I mean, why do you give us so much attention? And it baffled them for 4,000 years in an old covenant. Why? Because look at him. And then Jesus comes... And demonstrates what real humanity is supposed to look like. And everybody was like, wow. Jesus did not come as Superman. He came as ordinary, average, every child of God man. He looked to his disciples and said, what I've been doing, you're going to do. Which means if you're not living like Jesus, something's not right. It doesn't mean you're bad. doesn't mean you're evil. It just means something's not right. Because you were meant you were meant to live that way. I know, right? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So what Paul writes in, in, to this church at Ephesus is that everything is under our feet. That we don't, we're never supposed to pray with this, oh Lord, come and protect me and come and save me from the, you know, from the devil. And he's got, that's never, that was never their attitude. You are more than a conqueror. In Christ. That's the language. And you know what more than a conqueror, what that actually means in the original language? It means more than a conqueror. It means what it means. Like you're more. Like, you, well, a conqueror is someone who conquers. You're more than that. You don't even have to fight, man. Like the, he won the battle. You literally turn to the enemy when he comes to you. He's rendered powerless. All he could do is lie to you. And you come and say, I'm not listening. And he runs. It's not even a fight. I, I, I picture you guys just jumping up and screaming and going, praise the Lord. Because that's how I felt, man. That's how I felt. So I, I never read the Bible before 1995. I opened the Bible to the book. Of, and there's a, I grew up the name, the name Jeremiah, which, you know, whatever it is now. But when I was a kid, you had that song. It was a terrible name. I didn't like it. You know, I got picked on. I didn't get my buddy. You know the little license plate on the back of your, they didn't have Jeremiah. My buddy was named Trent. They had Trent, you know. I had to settle for Larry, and then you flip it over, and you write your name on the back of it. It was terrible. And, and then I get saved in 95, and I open up the Bible, and there's a book in there with my name on it. And I was like, no way. Take that, Trent. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, right? And I open up, I open up the Bible to, and I begin to read and Jeremiah is this junior in training young priest in a family and God calls him to the prophet and he's like, you don't understand God, I, that's not me. And, and God says, before you were born, I knew you, I formed you and I ordained you for this hour and all the hair stood up on my body. He knows who I am. And what Jeremiah did was just believe it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you just walked out here and said, that's true, I believe that. I choose to see myself like that in light of what I've been told my whole life. 
I don't want to keep going on with illustrations, but, and this will be quick, but I met a woman who was 88, and we think sometimes it's the teens when some of you senior adults have lived with stuff your whole life that you don't have to live with. That you don't have to live with. I was at a camp meeting this summer, and an 88-year-old woman comes to me. And she said, can I talk to you in private? I said, sure. She told her husband to wait, and we went and sat on the front row. And she said, you know, her first husband, that was her third, or maybe fourth. She'd been through several. But she said, my first husband, we got married when I was like 14, and he went off to World War II. And she said, the week he left, my neighbor came over and assaulted me. And he came regularly, and I was paralyzed. And she just tells me this terrible story that had happened for about two years. And when she had got home, she had confessed to her husband, and there was all this stuff that had happened. I'm not so sure. I don't think he contributed to it, but she had this idea that she was dirty, that she was used. She somehow deserved that. She somehow caused that. All of these lies. And she had carried that with her for, what was that, 74 years? That's how she saw herself. That's horrible. Seriously, that's terrible. I meet people like that all the time. Kid, that when they were their kids, five and six years old, that things happen to them and they blame themselves. That's a lie. The enemy comes in trauma, speaks a lie, and you believe it. And that lady was like, all, 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 all deliverances, which is a biblical term, redemption, another way to translate it, is, is to speak truth against that lie and reveal the lie for what it is. It's not true. And she was just set free. And you did this wave of, it was beautiful. And it broke, what really broke my heart is we focus oftentimes on the teenagers and the young couples and senior adults who live with things for so long and they just, I don't know why, I'm almost dead anyway. <laughs> I don't know, that's just off the top of my head. But, you know, I, I don't, seriously, I, what other alternative is there? You don't have to live with that for another second. In fact, I'm under the impression you pass that down. I probably shouldn't have said that, but that just, it was, I thought it was inspiration. I don't think it was. But we don't have to live with that stuff. You know what I mean? So Paul is writing this to this church in Ephesus, and he's like, all he's doing is he's laying out the scriptures, and he's saying, this is how he sees you. This is really who you are. So this is the first aspect of this. We're probably going to get through verse 3 this week because we're going to go look at a couple other things. But this is really crucial. It's a little technical, but it gets really easy. Uh, Verse 3, I'm reading out of the NIV. But if you have the New King James, the NASB, the King James, or the ESV, pretty much any translation but the NIV, with this verse, those translations are a better translation. Uh, In fact, just really quickly, who here, as a show of hands, have the King James Version? Raise your hand couple of you. Who have the New King James Version? Raise your hand. Who has the NASB? We have the, most of you have the NIV? 1890 Darby Bible? No, I'm just kidding. That is a Bible. Some of the teens have that. Do you have that one? No? But the NASB, ESV, New King James, King James, those are better translations. But let's, let's read this in the NIV, and then we're going to move to the NASB. The NIV reads... In verse 3 of chapter 1, Ephesians, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
Now, the NASB reads a little bit different. This is the uh, 1985. uh, New American Standard. It reads like this. And it's a little better, but it still needs a little cleaning up. It reads, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. (laughs) It's like a mouthful, right? You're like, that sounds confusing just reading it. Scholars say, and rightfully so, this is what we call a Trinitarian passage. Whether you know what that term means or not, or that language terminology, it's a Trinitarian passage. We serve one God. We do not serve three. We serve one God who is three persons. Jesus revealed that God is he who's the son, his father, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says that's several places in the New Testament. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know a lot about Jesus. I mean, he's the guy who came, lived among us, died on the cross, uh, you know, all of that. We get the pictures of him in the house. You know, he's the white guy with long hair. Um, so, you know, we, we know a lot about Jesus. And, and a lot of our, our exaltation, a lot of our praise and worship and thanks, rightfully so, is on Jesus. But scripturally speaking, though Jesus is obviously significant and has a role in our redemption, the Father and the Holy Spirit have equally participated in our redemption. In fact, that's why we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because all three of them participate in our redemption. So you have a few of these passages, and just for bonus material, um, if you were ever to read through Revelation chapters 4 and 5, in my opinion, hands down, it is the best uh, section of scripture that gives just incredible detail on the role of each member of our Godhead, just who they are, where they're at, and, and how they're participating in our life. It's just a fantastic passage. But they're referred to, our Godhead is referred to in several passages. Now, here in verse 3, it's very unique for Paul to, to do this uh, among his writings, but he mentions all three members in verse 3. And you have insight that he kind of, he gives them their little titles or their little roles within the introduction. So I want to walk you through this in verse 3. It's each member of our Godhead and how they participate in our redemption. It's super neat, super neat. So we kind of want to walk through this together. But let's identify them first. So verse 3 begins with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's two right there. We obviously have Jesus Christ, but we have the God and Father also. Okay, so we have two members of our Trinity there. And then it says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The phrase that we translate spiritual there is actually reference to a person. It's the Greek word pneumaticus. And if you remembered this morning in chapter 6, um, Paul writes about the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That phrase, spiritual forces, is the exact same word. So it refers to a person. It can be an adjective that just describes, but when it's a standalone, it's, it refers to a, a, a person. So in this verse, this word we translate spiritual, every spiritual, you, you really could translate it every one of the Holy Spirit's blessings. Now the Holy Spirit's not, the holy word is not there, but that's who he's referring to. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that was easy. Okay, so you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that are mentioned here. And each of them participate in our redemption through blessing. Through blessing. The first one we want to look at is the Father. Okay, he's mentioned first. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. So the God, God the Father has blessed us. In order to understand the magnitude, this is so good. In order to stand the, understand the magnitude of what he blesses us with, you have to look at the beginning where it says, blessed be the God and Father. If you have the NASB for sure, it might be in the New King James. The word be there is in italics. Does anybody see that? If you have that, raise your hand really high so people know I'm not just making it up. Okay. You'd say, well, why is that word in italics? Because it's not there. It's not there in the original language. It's added to help in the translation. Unfortunately, it really doesn't help. Because the word blessed, like we have it in the NIV, actually translated praise, this word blessed is not an exhortation. It's not a declaration term. It's just an adjective. And adjectives describe noun. The big boy, the smart guy, the pretty girl, the fast rabbit. I can go on, but get it, right? So adjectives describe nouns. So this word here, blessed, is an adjective that describes God the Father. So actually how it should be translated is the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. That took a lot of work. Get that part? This blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. The beauty of that statement is the exact same word that describes the Father the Father has given to describe you and I. So here's the deal. Paul says the blessed God and Father, who he is, how he participates in our redemption is God's desire is the adjectives that describe him are, described, are to describe his children. Who he is is to be who we are. How he sees is to be how we see. How he feels is to be how we feel. Jesus consistently says, if you've seen me, you've, you've seen the Father. And he's not talking about physical sight stuff. It's beautiful because that word, when, the way he says it, is when, you've, when, you've, when you hear me speak, when you look at me is what he says. It's, it's, that word look is not, it doesn't have to do with just like appearance, physical appearance. 90% of our communication is done without our mouth. This is really true with my daughter. Her eyes alone communicate so much, you know, the rolling of the eyes, the squinting of the eyes, you know, she's just, it's a gift. It's, it's really a gift. It comes from her mom, but it just, it's, it's a gift, you know. You, you just know what she's saying. She didn't have to speak. So, like, our, our posture. So, what Jesus is saying, it's more than just, like, the communication. In fact, let me just give you this really quickly. You can, you can look here if you want to. But if you were to go into John If you were to go into John chapter 13 and go back a few verses into chapter 12, <laughs> listen to this. This is so great. He's talking with the leaders of Israel, and he says in verse 49, listen to this, for I did not speak of my own accord, 
But the Father who sent me commanded me not only what to say, but how to say it. I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is exactly what the Father has told me to say. Jesus says, listen, God didn't just give me information to tell you. He told me not only what to say, but how to deliver it. That was the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. So Jesus is like, when you look at me, like the, he was everything about him and the manner and the tone and the posture was the expression of who the Father is. That's, that's what a human being is supposed to look like. Now, he calls this, Paul calls this blessing. I, I've, again, what I've been talking about this week and what we will continue to talk about is as Americans in general, I do, I really believe we default to the physical. We just naturally assume that everything in our life is physical. You know, we don't even really think to pray about it. It's just, oh, it's physical. You know, we've got this issue or that issue or this issue or that issue, and it's physical, and, and that's what it is. But So we, I, I think we oftentimes forget that we live in a spiritual world. And this world, from the New Testament lens, is more important, significant, and evident than this world. Oftentimes, this world is a reflection of this world. I mean, it really is. So when I first got saved, I read through the Bible, 1995, I just started reading it, and a lot of it was just hard to believe, right? Um, I ran into this story, and this study here brought it back to me. Um, it was the Jacob and Esau story, and the whole blessing, the whole blessing deal. And I really struggled with that, because it just didn't make sense. And so to sum it up really quickly, obviously, Isaac in the story is old. Like he's, he's got more than one foot in the grave. He's got two feet and an arm. I mean, the dude is old. He's going to be duped by, by, by tying dead animal skin on his body. That's if that dupes you, you're out of it. I mean, you're, you're bad, right? Just go read it. But the point is, mom overhears Isaac tell Esau, he says, listen, I'm, I've got two feet and one arm in the grave. I'm getting ready to die. I want you to go out, go hunting. I want you to make that hamburger that I love and uh, bring it back, and I'm going to give you the blessing. And Esau's like, got it. I'll be back. Well, mom, see, Esau's kind of dad's, you know. He's a dad, you know, he's an outside hunter, hairy, you know, big, that kind of thing. And, and Jacob's like a little, you know, he's a little guy, and, and he's in with mom and doing mom stuff. And so mom runs in and tells Jacob, hey, Esau's going to get the blessing, but we're going we're gonna to fix that. I you know, Esau's going to go out and make his favorite hamburger. I was going to make him that tonight anyway. And so you're going to take it into him. You know, and, and Jacob's like, I can't go in. I don't even sound like my brother, right? And, and, uh, and, and what if he touches me? And, 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 you know, I'm not hairy. And she's like, no, no, we're going to strap dead animals on your body. Jacob's like, that's going to work. That'll be great. And it does, surprisingly. And so he goes in and steals the blessing. Okay, you know the story, right? We all know the story. So Jacob, or Esau ends up coming back. He's got the hamburger. Well, Isaac's full, <laughs> right? And he's like, sorry, I gave the blessing to your brother. You know, I only have curses left for you. And so, you know, Esau's been dealing with Jacob forever. And so he's like, I'm, I'm killing that pipsqueak, right? I'm killing him. I'm done with him. I'm killing him. And so mom tells Jacob to flee. Now, this is the problem I struggled with. So Jacob got the blessing. Well, whoop-de-doo. 
Esau got the house. He got the land. He got the four-wheelers. He got the animals. Say, he got the bank accounts. He got everything. Jacob got Uncle Laban. <laughs> that's what, that's, did you ever think of that? I was like, that's... that's what, I bless thee. That's what he got. If you go back and study, again, but I was looking at that through the eyes of an American. That's how we talk about blessing, typically, this stuff. The blessing is God came to Jacob and said, he put his arm around him and said, how would you like for all the days of your life to be included in what I'm doing? And it is a blessing to be involved with God in the redeeming of an entire world. And that's what he received. So when you and I, we receive every single blessing, we oftentimes, I hear it talked about, yeah, you know, there's the money and, you know, my, my body never gets sick and all that. I, okay, there's probably room to talk about some of that. But that's not what he's talking about. The blessing is, is, the blessing is he's including you and I in what he's doing in the life of your children, in the life of your grandchildren, in the life of that person you work with, in, in, the, in, in the whole climate of your town. He wants to involve you in that. God wants to take all of his perspective. And again, Christianity is not just this kind of structured information. I go to church on Sunday. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. I don't lie. I don't steal. I give some money. I'm going to go to heaven. That's, none of that makes any sense biblically. Christianity is, I literally, I literally involved, and I fall in love with my neighbor the way that he falls in love with my neighbor. Like I care about what he cares about. I don't have to resist. I just... That's the idea. So God the Father had this dream. God the Father had this dream. And He said, I, I want to... Man, I, 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 wanna, I want my, my physical sons and daughters. I want to take everything of who we are. And I want it to be inside of them. And I want them to feel the way that we do. I want them to overcome the... Like you were... You are not created deficient. I don't know how that even makes, I don't know if that makes sense, but you don't live deficient. I do. I, I think when you settle for less than what God has for you, you literally belittle the sacrifice that Jesus made for your life. See, the reason I have a problem that you can't overcome sin and you can't live a victorious, phenomenal life, the reason I have a problem with that, because it makes Jesus' sacrifice a little less than it, what it could be. By his stripes we are healed. Like he's phenomenal. Like the depth of what, some of the passages that talk about how we're going to live, what we're going to do, that's the norm. And we settle for less. That's not the language that Paul uses. Paul says, God the Father said, I want every one of, everything that describes us to describe them. Now Jesus in the passage Let's build on this. Jesus in the passage, he is the in Christ statement. All throughout all of this, I wish we had time to talk about it this week, we may. But all throughout this passage, I'm probably going to. Probably going to. Follow. I have these internal dialogues all the time. But it's on my website, it's on our YouTube channel, you go watch it. But it's really good material. Everything is in Jesus. 
In fact, when you go down through the passage, look at this. When you come into um, verse 3, all these spiritual blessings are in Christ. Verse 4, for he chose us in him. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted uh, as sons in Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse 11, in him we are chosen. I mean, just on and on and on and on. Everything is in Jesus. God took everything and put it in his son. Um, Jesus, when you come into the scriptures over and over and over, sonship is an identity. This will take a second. Sonship is an identity term. Whether you are a guy or a girl, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean you're not a female. It doesn't mean you're not a male. It's an identity term. It's an identity term. That you have the rights of a firstborn son. Well, which firstborn son are you talking about? Jesus is the firstborn son. Okay, so when we're called, when we're called, in fact, if you look, we don't, I don't want to take you all the way through the New Testament, but if you were to go through and look at the last few verses of chapter 3 in, in the book of Luke, where he gives the Luke genealogy, he comes all the way down to Adam and he calls Adam a son of God. He says, Adam is a son of God. And I, I read that and I thought, wow. So just as Jesus is a son of God, Adam was a son of God? Yes. Kind of. Jesus is the only begotten son. He's the only one that can go back to his birth and say, no, God's like my dad. Like literally. I'm plucked out of that gene pool. We have the same chin. I wasn't created. God is my dad. Adam couldn't say that, and you and I can't say that. And you'd say, well, then why are we called sons? Because we were created for that kind of relationship. So you were created to have the relationship with God that Jesus has with God. Really exciting. Okay, so you were created to walk with the Father just like Jesus did. In fact, if you go back and look at the story, God wakes up one day. This is how I talk to junior hires about it. So God wakes up one day. And this is, honestly, exegetically, it's really accurate. Everything God does, he's light, he's expectation, he starts talking about it, he starts dreaming about it. And one day he gets up and he says, he looks at Jesus and says, oh, dude, I love you. Jesus is like, thanks, Dad. God says, in fact, I love you so much, I'd like to have more of you. And he made us. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I want more sons and daughters. In fact, God says, in order to do that, I'm going to create the physical. And everyone in heaven goes, yes, the physical. And then they're like, what's the physical? Because no one had ever seen. Before that, it was only spiritual. So they're like, what's the physical? And one day God said, let there be. In fact, where are you at, guy? We were talking about that this morning, about the physical and the spiritual. I'll find you eventually. You have a beard, a lot of white hair. I see you. We were talking about this morning, wasn't it? That's a good conversation we had. We'll continue it later. But God's, God said, let there be, and he created the physical, which is the in the beginning record that we have. And everybody was like, wow, let there be light. And then the world, and he starts creating all of this stuff. And the angels are like, that's incredible. You could touch it. And it's physical. And then God said, I want, because God, listen, God doesn't create anything deficient. Everything God creates, 
everything that comes out of him is absolutely perfect. It resonates with who he is. And God said, I want what's going on in us to take place there. I want everything, the reality of who we are in the spiritual, I want that to be seen in the physical. And I'm going to accomplish that through my physical children who I want to walk with just like I walk with Jesus. And he made you and I. And he took everything that describes himself, which is blessing, and he bestowed it on his children. And Jesus is the in Christ, which means Jesus is what that looks like. If you want to know the life you're called to live, Jesus. He looks to his disciples and said, the stuff I've been doing, get this, you're going to do greater things than those. I mean, the disciples were like, no way. Yeah, you're going to do greater things than these because I go to the Father. So Jesus literally, and after Adam fall, fell, Jesus came and ensured that the dream of the Father would come to pass. So what salvation is, is Jesus comes and says, listen, so for 4,000 years, literally, God was declaring and proclaiming and writing it in, in scripture and prophecy and he was saying this is who I am and this is who you are and no one got it and so finally Jesus goes I don't think they're getting it I'm going in and he went and entered into the womb of a woman named Mary and nine months later come flying out and for 33 years Jesus said listen this is what we've been talking about every way I'm living you're going to live Everything I'm feeling, you're going to feel. The way I see, you're going to see. How I talk with him, you're going to talk with him. You could talk with him just like me. And how is that going to be possible? Jesus said, I'm going to take my relationship and everything that I have in my identity, and I'm going to give it to you. And if you just believe me, look at Jesus and say, hold on, God wants to be reconciled with me. He wants me to walk with him like you do. I'm in. And then he takes... Everything that belongs to you and your identity, he gives you his identity, and he takes it upon himself, and he nails it to a cross. And it no longer belongs to you. And it, this is the best part. It no longer doesn't belong to you. It can't be used against you. Which is <laughs> incredible. The best illustration of this is in the book of Hebrews. This is really confusing for me. Um, so in the book of Hebrews... And in Revelation, we're all wearing these white robes. And I'm not really a robe guy. Kind of a, you know, jeans or tactical, right? Um, Jesus comes back, everybody's in white robes. I get it. My wife's going to love it. Um, I'm like, what's the deal with white robes? Well, they're spotless. The Hebrew writer clears this up for us. In the old covenant, you could be forgiven from the sacrifice that you offer. God would forgive you. But when he looked at you, you still had the stain of sin. Because the blood of bulls and goats could not remove the stain. That's the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the only one who can remove the stain of sin. You're like, what does that mean? Well, in the old covenant, God did forgive you, but you're the one that, your identity was the one he forgave. Because your inside identity didn't change. Uh, I don't know if... It's a good illustration. <laughs> That's one. <laughs> Let me finish this. So you, were, you still had the stain of sin. You still had the stain of sin. The difference in the new covenant 
is the stain is removed. What does stain mean? It didn't happen. That's, I mean, I stand before God like I've never sinned. That's how thorough, that's how thorough of a salvation he offers you. Isn't it just moving? It's like you've never, I know, it's like you've never sinned. So when the enemy comes and points to your past, you're like, what past? Are you talking about the past that belongs to Jesus? God took out all of his on Jesus that belonged to you. And Jesus paid for that. So the moment you start picking up your past and living like it belongs to you, you are actually stealing from Jesus. That, let that sink in. You are brand new. So the next time the enemy comes to you and points to your past, say, liar. I don't buy it. I'm clean, man. Shoe fly, don't bother me. Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Because an old covenant was outside. New covenant's inside. Which means you can feel different about yourself. You don't have to have self-hatred. You can be cleansed. That's the message of entire sanctification. I can be different. I don't just fake it. You stoic people. I can be a different person. The best example of this is Jesus is teaching in... Um, Jesus is, when he comes, he's teaching on the... Mount of Olives, and he says, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this. Remember that? He said, you've heard it said, um, don't murder, right? Big fan, okay? Don't kill people. You've heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you, don't even hate. See, in the old covenant, there was no chance of you being a different person. You just couldn't kill anybody. Now, oftentimes, Christians talk like that. I hear people all the time, dude, I was driving down the road. Man, I was going to, but I didn't. Because I'm a Christian. Are you sure? You don't sound like it. So I come up with these illustrations for junior hires. They love them. So I got this next door neighbor. And um, this is the law, old covenant. This is the new covenant. So I got this next door neighbor. He's mean. He's nasty. I hate him. I just wish he'd die. But I'm not going to kill him because I'm a Christian. But he can't live forever. In fact, Corinda called me before service and she's on her way back from town and because of the swelling of population around Nashville, it's all these accidents and delays and she calls me. She says, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm like, yeah, you should have taken the back roads. She says, well, I think this one's bad. I think it's a fatality. I remember thinking, oh, let it be him. Oh, no, but I'm not going to kill him. I'm not, because I'm a Christian. Now, anyone who listens to me would say, you've got issues. But that was acceptable in the Old Testament. Why? Because you couldn't be changed on how you feel. You need another one. So, my wife... Jesus says, you heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust. So I'm not going to cheat on my wife. And I've shown several of you her picture. She is. She is. My wife is very attractive. But she's got some miles on her. There's no doubt about that. I mean, she's, she's getting up there. She's getting older. But I'm not going to cheat on her. Seriously, I'm, hey, I'm not going to cheat on her. I, I, I married her for better or worse. 
but she's not going to live forever. And uh, if she dies, I'm going younger and less lippy, uh, definitely. Now, anyone who would listen to that would be like, that guy's got issues. But that was acceptable in an old covenant time period. See, if you lust in your heart, see, pornography is an affair you've created, an affair you've committed on your spouse. Old covenant is gone. It's not that the new covenant's an option. It replaced the old covenant. So even if you show up to church on Sunday and you live with bondage, it's not good enough because you can be free. You could be different. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like good news. You don't have to live that way. The fathers, here's what Paul said. The father said, listen, I want to take everything that describes us and our nature that's why in the Church of the Nazarene we teach on entire sanctification. Why? It's a nature change. It's not just I'm forgiven and I'll live the rest of my life being a jerk, but I get to go to heaven. That's something else. Yeah, that's not our, that's not our deal. You could be different. The Father says, I want everything that describes us to describe them. Jesus said, oh, I love it. I'm going to go make it happen. The Holy Spirit in the, in the verse He's actually the blessing. In other words, the adjectives that describe God, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's what he gives us. Now, when you go throughout the New Testament, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and it's a fruit. Of, that's just one of the passages in Galatians. But that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the adjectives of who the Father is. Um, love. Love is not an emotion. Love is a spirit. True story. So, I think we make things way too spiritual. And I think, it, I think it's indicative of our physical stuff. Because whether you're at church or you're not, he's always with me. The clothing and the structure doesn't make it more spiritual. I mean, we gather together, then God does things here that it's wonderful. But you're to be the same on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that you are on Sunday. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is love. It's not, it's not, he's not an emotion. And I'm under the impression certain areas of the country are not that emotional. In Pennsylvania, there's some areas. but So you're in luck. You're in luck. Love is not an emotion. Love is a person. It's a person of the Holy Spirit. So when you love someone, you're not pouring emotion on them. You are tangibly taking the Holy Spirit and you're shoving it on them. So when I love that person, you don't have to use spiritual language. I was in a gas station a lot long ago. This guy comes in and goes, I'd like to give you a Bible track. He hands it to the lady across the counter. Do you know if you're going to hell or not? I'm like, dude, listen, you are not helping the cause. Seriously. He had this like stick cross he's carrying around. She was like, please leave. I'm like, yes, please leave. And I get it. He's got good intentions. But dude, you're going, you make, you make it weird. Just love people, man. Seriously, just love them. You literally, and I use the word carry because it's the word Jesus uses. When Jesus sends the 72 and the 12 out and he, by two by two, he says, when you go into a house, let my peace rest on the house. 
If there's a man of peace there, great. If not, let my, repeat, my peace return to you. You literally carry spiritually the Holy Spirit. You literally carry the answer that your neighbor needs. You carry it. Your church doesn't carry it. Hey, you should come to church on Sunday. They can really help you. No, 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 no. You carry it. Like you're the answer. Isn't it phenomenal? So I'm driving down the road on the way to school, and I'm a terrible driver. But so I'm driving down the road. I'm actually a really good driver. I'm just a distracted driver. So I'm driving down the road. This one too long ago. I'm on my phone, which is bad. Don't do it. And I'm actually texting our school, the school that I'm teaching at. And I'm telling them I'm going to be late because all these people have moved there. And it's just traffic's terrible in the morning. And so I was going to be 10 minutes late. And so I'm texting, you know, looking, texting. And then I hear this honk. And I look up and I'm like halfway in the other lane. And there's this, this joyful individual next to me who is like, I mean, he is, you know, he's screaming. He's telling me I'm number one. He's, you know... I mean, he is, seriously, he is irate. Spits hitting the window, and it was bad. So we end up pulling, and we're setting, so this is hysterical. Actually, it's not that funny, but it was pretty funny to me, because we stop side by side on the freeway, and I do, I feel bad. And so I look over at him, and I was like, hey, dude, I apologize. And he's like, ah! I was like, that didn't work. And I hear the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and he goes, affecting, poor Pour me on, introducing, introducing to me. I was like, dude, listen, he ain't going to receive from me. He goes, love him. Because love's a person. So I honked the horn, and he looked at me, and I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry, man. He was like, Ugh! I mean, he was, I mean, he was demonic, it felt like. And I was like, that didn't work. So I honked the horn again, and he looked at me, and I went, That's 100%. And he just stared at me. And he got this little smile on his face, and he goes. And I honked again, and he didn't, didn't look. And I honked again, and he looked at me, and I went. And he broke in this big smile. And then no matter what I did, he wouldn't look at me. He just sat there staring right ahead. But honestly, you could feel the presence of the Lord. We make things look so spiritual, and it, it does. Be who you are. If you're quirky and weird, if you're humorous, if you're, just be who you are. And he, he created you, and he can use you. It's not emotion. Love is a spirit. And that guy, like, that changed his environment. It changed. Because I refused to pick up a fence on that guy, and I just threw who I carry all over his vehicle. And I do. I bet he went to work and was like, you guys are never going to guess what happened on the freeway. So love, joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not emotion. Joy are not circumstances. Joy is a, is a person. Peace. Patience. When you show patience with your kids, when you show patience on the road, you're literally covering. Think about that. That's not just clever illustrations. You literally can cover your work environment. When your boss... And you love, you literally just, you literally throw the person. And I do it intentionally. I do, I do it intentionally. I just infuse the Holy Spirit in that situation. Just pour it on them. Because he who is in me is greater 
that all the junk that's going on in him that he carries, the disappointing home life, the, the stuff we find on the freeway, that, come on, I get it. I do, I get it. Let's look at the world we live in. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. That's the day we're headed. It's Matthew chapter 24. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. We're just not going to love people. We're going to become cynical, become judgmental. You can't be that way. Because the one who lives in you is not that way. So the father said, here's what I want to do. Is I want to create a physical world. And I want to take my spiritual DNA. And I want to put it in that physical world. And I'm going to grow for myself. Sons. And I think we're all old enough to talk about this. When Jesus, throughout the New Testament, is talking about the farmer sowing the seed. That word seed is sperma in the original language. It's literally the spiritual DNA of the father that's planted in your life. Who he is literally grows in you. It's beautiful. And Jesus said, oh, dad, I love it. I'm going to go sure and make it happen. And he goes and makes it happen. And then says, listen, don't leave Jerusalem. Because number three is coming. And he's going to live inside of you. And he's going to produce that life inside of you. So it's not dependent upon your intelligence. I have a sister who is like, she's so intelligent. She's been valid. She's been valedictorian of everything since like birth. She's, she is seriously, she is, lives in Indianapolis, crazy job. She's so intelligent. Uh, she can't walk and chew gum, but she's really intelligent. I was the athlete growing up, but um, I've struggled with learning disorders my whole life and attention deficits that you'd never guess that. But I've just, hyperactivity, I've just, I've never been someone who's overly highly intelligent. Uh, I just lean on a wisdom that's so far beyond me. He's adequate for you. He takes ignorant fishermen and transforms the world. So you can look at me and say, oh, I'm not that smart. We know. Doesn't matter. Seriously, it doesn't matter. So here's what I want to do tonight. I meet people all the time when you give them truth. Best news they ever had. It's like literally someone coming up and giving you a 2023, because they have early productions, a 2023, whatever your Ford, Chevy, Dodge, Toyota truck, that's like the real truck, bells and whistles, gives you the keys with the right source, unending source, unlimited gas card, hands it to you and says it's yours. And we run around and we're like, dude, look at this. It's incredible. And then we go outside and get on our bike and ride home. You got you to gotta try it on. You need to believe everything you hear that comes out of the word. That should trump what you feel about yourself. Because you're going to wake up in the morning and not feel that way. Are you going to live according to your feelings or are you going to live according to his word? Every morning I wake up, irregardless of what happened yesterday and I wake up and I say I receive I choose to see myself the way you see me and I, I just I love how much you love me I'm yours and I want to be free I don't want to just do different things I want to be a different person I want to be that way it's the best news it'll change how you witness to people it'll change you from going hey do you want to go to my church to 
you begin to get to know them. You go to, I go to the same gas station every week. I walk in. I just love on them. I come in. I'm like, what's up? His name's Rahid. This is one little gas station. It's like he's got twin brothers. They came from somewhere, and they now own the place. And I always come in, and it's boiled peanuts. And he's like, hey, pastor. I'm like, when you coming to church? Ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's really hysterical. And so he's totally not from the South. So, like, we, I, I, I minister to his love on him. But I learn what ends up happening in his life. And when tragedy comes and when bad days come, I'm there and I come in. How's it going, man? You know, he's all stressed. And I'm just like, hey, man, praying for you, bud. It's, I know it's rough. And then they vent to you. And then you become that person. You become their pastor. And then you begin to pray for him. And one day God's going to open an opportunity. And you're going to be standing right there. And handing him a track and telling him that they need Jesus, that probably ain't going to cut it. That probably ain't going to cut it. You're going to fall in love with them the way he does. You're going to see him. You're going to see them the way he does. And then he's going to spill through your life and they're going to be forever changed. We literally take it into the community. Uh, tomorrow I want you to come back and I want you to go home tonight. I, just, I really want you to think about what blockades that. What keeps coming up? Where does It's easy. All of us have areas where the enemy where the enemy attacks us. And you were created to hear the Holy Spirit. Who here, honestly, just really quickly, show of hands, who here has been tempted by the enemy? Raise your hand. If you've been tempted by the enemy, which is a spirit, and you can hear the enemy, you can hear the Holy Spirit. Okay, easy. You just don't decide one day to follow Jesus. You're, you hear him speak. So talk to him. Ask him, what in my life I don't care how long you've been coming to church. What in my life is limiting and prohibiting the next thing you want to do, the next step? And then come tomorrow night, let's deal with it. And it's not going to be like standing up, game show host, spreading your laundry. That's not what it is. But let's, let's allow him to just sweep all that stuff out. You're going to love tomorrow night. We good? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. You are so good. I know I'm unorthodox and I'm quirky and I'm different and I get it. I don't. Paul was an apostle out of season. I am a, I'm an evangelist out of season. You're just the best news ever. You're almost too good to be true. I feel like Nicodemus sometimes. Like it's, it's just, it's sometimes hard to believe how much you love us. You never just call us to do different things that we can't do. You never call us to be holy when there's no chance of us being holy. You literally want to take your Holy Spirit and put it inside of us. Transform our insides and then reproduce who you are through our life. It's remarkable. And we love you. I love you so much. I don't regret ever one second I've ever had with you. I thank you for everything you've done in my life. You are so incredible. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy tonight as we drive home to just sing to you. 
you're worthy for the first thing in the morning not to grab our phone, but just to lift our hands up. Even when I don't have all the emotion and I've got all these things on my plate or I'm not feeling well or my mind or what, you're worthy of me just saying, you're so good. You're so faithful beyond measure. And Father, we want you to have your way this week. We don't just want good teaching and good preaching and good information. We want a divine moving of your Holy Spirit where people can encounter you to the extent that the trajectory of their life is never the same. That we're completely different. So we're going to go tomorrow in expectation, Father, this evening and tomorrow in expectation of what you're going to do. We're going to invite. I pray that you would soften the hearts that need to be softened. I, say you would, I pray that you would cancel what need to be canceled. I pray that you would just bend what needs to be bent. And we are going to marvel at what you do. And we praise you and thank you. It's such a joy. It's such a privilege to be a part of what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. What time are services tomorrow? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? 7 o'clock. See you here. You're dismissed.